Welcome to the Happy Saver podcast. I'm Ruth, and as well as this podcast, I also write a personal finance blog here in New Zealand called, unsurprisingly, The Happy Saver. Because New Zealand is a really small place and the people I seek out are often uncomfortable having their stories told in public, you will hear their stories from me and not directly from them to retain their privacy. Plus, you probably know by now, I could talk for an Olympic sport and the chats with the people I phone up are often quite long. Now, Andy is on this week's episode and we managed to speak for three hours. So by doing it this way, you get a significantly edited version of the conversations I've had. You're very welcome. And in those conversations, I just chat to people. I learn their stories and condense them down so that you can hear helpful, relatable stories from fellow Kiwis who are sharing their experiences, their tips and point of view on personal finance in New Zealand. I first heard from Andy when he was 29 years old. He emailed me with some questions and observations. And the bit that stuck with me most was that he was pretty keen to buy himself a car parking space as an investment. Indeed, he said, quote, I love the idea of owning a car park in the city. He thought it was a pretty legitimate investment. Plus, he thought he might even use it himself one day if he got a car, that is. I, on the other hand, thought, what has the world come to? that people can't afford a house, which is what Andy actually wanted, and they have to convince themselves that owning a piece of dirt the size of a car, which is about four by five metres, is the next best thing. So Andy had my attention for the last 18 months as we swapped emails back and forth. He writes for a living, so he writes a good email, and through those, I got to see his thoughts evolve and the evolution of a workable financial plan. And to cut through the suspense, I'll cut to the chase, it does not involve a car park. But before I tell you all about Andy, I just want to share a word about Pocketsmith, today's sponsor. Every time I'm visiting my Pocketsmith dashboard, my emergency fund balance is staring me in the face. Nice and bold and just there. And I always relax when I see it, knowing that if some unexpected big bill comes up, I can cover it. Pocketsmith caters for all walks of life and I worked out how much I should have in this fund by using the Pocketsmith income and expense statement, which had been automatically tracking every single expense, to work out my monthly average spend, which is entirely unique to me. From time to time I dip into it, maybe for a car repair, maybe for an emergency vet bill, and it just instantly cures a financial headache, giving me a sense of calm control over our finances. If you want to supercharge your finances with Pocketsmith, they've got a deal for you. Happy Saver listeners get a whopping 50% off your first two months of Pocketsmith's premium plan. To get your deal, go to pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. That's pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. Now, the fact is, I'm not the most overly proficient interviewer. For example, I completely forgot about the detail that Andy was Australian until I heard his strong Melbourne accent on the other end of the phone one Thursday evening back in August. But he seems pretty settled here in New Zealand now. He has even brought his superannuation over, so that's good enough for me. Now, Andy is actually not his real name. He wanted to fly under the radar for this one. But we began by talking about where it all started for him. He grew up on an acre and a half in an outer suburb of Melbourne, where his dad works in graphic design and his mum in hospitality. He said that he always had quite a good work ethic, and he remembers helping his dad out, which was typical of many, working in the backyard on various projects for pocket money, which felt like a fortune at the time. But when his two younger siblings came along, he recalls them getting paid more, which he jokingly put down to inflation, perhaps. 
And what does he wish his parents had taught him about money growing up? He wishes they had talked to him about money, full stop. Even though they tried at times and helped him deposit money with Dolomites into Combank, which is the same system that the Australian financial writer, the Barefoot Investor, hates with a passion, there was not much information floating around. He wishes they had been more open about exactly what they had, their mistakes and their successes, and had just made talking about money a part of everyday life. Now, since he has started bringing it to the table, they are more than happy to talk about it, which is excellent. And I often give this advice to parents, just talk about money at home, just a conversation, make it every day, and it helps kids build up a mental picture of what life costs and how money works. He thought back and remembered himself to be quite a selfish kind of kid, adolescent and then young adult, and well into his 20s, he was an all-about-him kind of person, somewhat self-absorbed, which is a pretty honest assessment of himself, but one I can't comment on having not known him that long. He was pretty committed to only spending his time doing stuff he loved, always believing that he would be wealthy one day because of his work ethic. In his younger years at school, he got bullied a bit until he learned that he had a skill that many lacked, the ability to be a bit of a comedian and to make people laugh. Once he used that as a tool in his toolbox, he did well in school academically. He said it was a bit of a posh private one because he loved the challenge of being the best version of himself. From the age of just eight, he fell in love with golf and as the years went by, he decided to pursue it as a career and become a professional golfer. He completed high school in 2008 with top grades. He genuinely loved his time there. Because he was so into his golf and put so much pressure on himself in his chosen sport, the school was actually a bit of an enjoyable relief and he was interested to see what would happen if he really tried. As it turned out, he scored top marks and it felt great to know that he did it just for himself and was able to intrinsically motivate himself. All through school, he continued to play golf and once finished to pay for his sport, he stayed living at home and he took up part-time work in businesses close to the course that he played regularly. It was sporadic work, a lot of kitchen work or factory work, but he actually really loved it. His parents were also really supportive of his sport, paid for many of the competitions he would enter and fully supported him by driving him to events and helping out. He said, in hindsight, he didn't realise how lucky he had it. Although formally intent on progressing his golf, his golfing career ended in 2009 when he decided to do a 16-week screenwriting course, which was to completely change his life. Within just a few short weeks, he knew he wanted to pursue a comedy writing career. He liked to make people laugh, and had found something else that he would enjoy even more than golf. He had found something to move towards, he said. I wondered how his parents felt about this abrupt decision. He said he sat his parents down, said, this is what I'm going to do now, and they were on board from the beginning. Then between roughly 2010 and 2014, he began a career he loved. He worked on projects in comedy, community radio, and community TV, working on several productions that were immensely personally rewarding. Still, ultimately, they never paid overly well and often not at all. And he thought, okay, I'm not getting paid much to work here, other than writing the odd article for newspapers and the like, so he thought to himself, I'm going to America. He saved up some money from his small jobs, and he went to LA for six months, living in a backpackers and making the five to $6,000 he had stretch as far as it possibly could. He did a little tripping around near the end of his time, but he literally slept in the boot of his car when he did. Now there is a fine line between having an adventure and slumming it I think. 
The whole trip was quite confronting and a bit of a wake-up call, and he decided it was better to return to Oz and try to become a big fish in a small pond in Oz than a small fish in a gigantic pond in America. I asked Andy what his expectations of that trip were. He thought he would make it as a comedy writer over there. Many people said to him, just get yourself to LA and chase your dream. He thought he would give it a shot, and at worst, he thought it would be interesting. That trip taught him a lot, though, and one of the strongest things was that he didn't want to be alone for the rest of his life, and he decided to pursue the online relationship he had started up during his stay with a woman he'd met. She was a Kiwi, so the pond kept getting smaller, and that's what brought him to New Zealand in about 2015. He moved to what he called a moist bunker in Wellington, that is, a dingy flat, and if you didn't count his six months in LA, this was his first time living away from his parents' house, paying rent and living with others. He continued to try to find comedy writing jobs. He was so focused, to his own detriment in the end, he said, to just do what he loved. He had absolute tunnel vision, which is an excellent trait to have, he said, but it can also corrupt you because it kind of limited his ability to get ahead because he just wanted to do that one thing to the detriment and exclusion of all else. He got to know the woman he'd met online and they were to stay together for a couple of years and within a month of being here he actually landed some writing work but he said writing for TV is brutal. You only get paid for what you actually manage to get on the show and the competition between other writers is fierce. If he could make his rent of $134 each week, he considered it a good week. Making just $200 was considered a great week and maybe every two to three weeks he would make over $200 if he could sell some articles to other publications. He stayed here just 10 months before moving with his girlfriend back to Australia and his parents' house as they were more than happy to put them up. He was able to take his writing work with him, something he was extremely grateful for, and within 12 months he actually managed to become one of the top writers on a show he worked on. His girlfriend was a really hard worker. She did a lot of hustling for work and ultimately made a lot more money than him. And what must have felt to his girlfriend, if not to Andy, a long eight months, they finally got into an apartment. With his low income and her kind of all over the place work, it was challenging to get accepted for an apartment, and she actually ended up having to pay his rent for a time to help him get by. Unfortunately, after a couple of years, they broke up, and Andy recalls feeling pretty devastated at the time, but in hindsight, as is often the way, it was the best thing she could have ever done for herself, and for him when he thought about it. It was the start of him learning to take responsibility for himself, and becoming less absorbed. Once again, he moved back in with his parents, went to therapy to get over the relationship, and yet again threw himself into TV work that he found meaningful. He said it was a busy and crazy time, and again, it was extremely poorly paid. By now, he was in his mid to late 20s, and still aiming to pursue what brought him joy, but barely paying his way in life. One of the biggest things that held him back in his TV career, and from running his own shows, was that he was afraid of the budgeting and financial aspect of things, because he considered himself to be pretty shit with money. But he had the good sense to never go into debt at any point. That was actually the one essential thing his mum taught him about money. She made him fear credit card debt and told him to use a debit card instead, something he is so grateful for. He was extremely frugal and good about not spending more than he needed on stuff, yet he was scared of budgets and larger amounts of money for a long time. 
The only way to make his own TV show was to confront this fear around the financial side of things, so he got someone to show him how to do it. This gave him his first sense of control over money, and he made the leap to look after the financial side of a TV production, albeit one with a small budget. But any TV show has a vast number of people involved, and Andy decided that no matter the role, the person would get paid something, even if it was just a little. After doing so many volunteer hours himself, he felt a certain sense of pride in not making that someone else's reality, and it felt good to do good for others. A friend he had met while living in Wellington had started up a tech company working in the education space, and he asked Andy to come over and work for him. He accepted a a four-day-a-week job, keeping the other day free for his TV writing gig, and Andy felt he had achieved everything he wanted to do in his TV career in Melbourne. And this new opportunity sounded like a real adventure, so he moved back to New Zealand in July 2019. And these days he is Auckland-based, living in the central city. And it turned out to be a fun adventure. He absolutely loves his job today. At the age of 26, his grandpa had given him a copy of the book The Barefoot Investor by Australian writer Scott Pape, and that played a massive role in him beginning to change the way he lived his life, because up until about 2019, he had been very ignorant, he said, of the role that money plays in life. Having admitted to being an all-about-him person well into his mid-twenties, he has been on a bit of a mission, making it less about him and more about how he can help others. Now, I don't know how I get away with some of the questions, but I asked him how he changed from a self-absorbed person to someone who thought of others. He said he had never had anyone, except for his parents, who had always been so supportive, tell him that he was any good at anything in a meaningful way. That was until he met his friend and current boss. It was probably realising for the first time that he feels valued by others and is being paid for what he is contributing to the world. He still only does stuff he loves, but he now worries less about himself and is much more generous towards others, which is such a relief, he said. And then, in early 2020, age 29, he sent me an email telling me a bit about himself. He had been digging into the Barefoot Investor book, and then he came across my website, The Happy Saver. He was actually asking if I was looking for any writers for my website because as part of his day job working at the tech company, that focuses on education, he had grown to particularly like the world of finance. And given that I now know his history, it's handy to know that he was pretty fresh to the world of finance. There was a long pause between emails. Then in August 2021, he was back, and this time with a number of money questions. He told me he was now aged 30 and had saved up $40,000 and wondered what to do with it. So, flat broke to having 40 grand in the bank. How so? When he started his job, this miracle began to happen. As if by magic, each week, $698.97 would show up in his bank account for his four days a week job. In the hand, he was earning $36,346 a year. He could not believe the amount of money going into his account each week. This was the first time he had ever taken a steady paycheck, and he had never seen this much money in his entire life. The fact he was also getting paid for public holidays just about blew his mind and he could not get his head around it. It felt like a gold rush and he felt a huge responsibility to make the most of his good fortune. He decided to take advantage and not muck this up. With a regular income and the fact that he met his partner within two months of moving here, it meant things were really looking up. Because he knew he could live off nothing, 
and he began to save his money. He also began to plan and think ahead, hence his emails to me. His email outlined three ideas, all of which felt worthy to him. Buy a tiny apartment in Auckland to live in for about 10 years, and his partner would pay rent to him. He had clearly been having people speak into his life who liked property, as he also threw in the concept of, quote, getting high rental yield and holding property and buying an investment property at the other end of the country in Invercargill. And the third option was to buy a car park in the CBD and pay cash for it, a dress rehearsal for having a big home loan one day, he thought. He threw in a few more snippets. He was living with his partner, but she had no savings, which indicated to me that they had been talking about money, always a good sign. The choice he would make would, of course, he said, depend on his investment goals. He had worked out he was very good at saving, with a current savings rate of 60%, but struggled to make goals for his money. He told me he was brand new to the concept of investing, but was really enjoying learning as much as he could about it because that would give him a more straightforward path going forward. So, what flipped the switch for him? It started with that Barefoot Investor book before he moved here. But at that time, he more or less had no money, so it was tough to put into practice. But when he moved over, started earning an income, and started being surrounded by really successful people at his workplace, this whole other world opened up to him. He met people who had purchased their own homes, and then a second property, and another who showed him the Sharesies app on their phone. A big part of him wisened up to the financial side of life that he was previously oblivious to. The people he now surrounds himself with have been the most significant influence, people who were so much more intelligent and more successful in every way, he said. And when they dropped a nugget of wisdom or a bit of intel, he just picked it up and ran with it, being super curious and following up on that information. The questions he was emailing me with, he was also asking of his boss and his friends, canvassing a wide range of opinions, and the more he followed up each book or blog or podcast that I and others suggested to him, the more he learned and started to evaluate all that information, working out what was best for him and his situation, which in turn helped him begin to narrow down his personal goals. And with each email he sent me, I could see him narrowing them down. It was quite fascinating. His whole life he had been driven by his heart and his emotions, but since coming to New Zealand and being around very successful people and seeing that there is another way and that you can have a better life, he saw that you can still keep that passion, but do a bit of math too. It makes you do better overall. Be a bit more thinky with less emotion, he said. With his knowledge growing by the day, he did something I thought was pretty cool. He talked to three financial advisors. They all offer a free session, and he thought it would be a good idea to speak to a few professionals who knew more than he did so that he could feel if he was on the right track. But he said that almost immediately he thought, I can make better decisions for myself without these advisors because he had done so much research on his own by this point. He saw them for what they were, mainly pushing products that they clipped the ticket on, or they were all about buying property using debt. They were not as enthusiastic about low-fee investing as he had become, which made me instantly recall something I heard Simplicity CEO Sam Stubbs recently say when he said, be paranoid about the fees you pay. They also told him to dream bigger and aim higher, which can be helpful, but it just didn't fit with him. Plus, they showed him graphs of returns that looked just a little too good to be true. For the record, if you want to seek professional financial advice, you need to find a fee-only authorised financial advisor. You will pay an upfront fee to use their services. 
be wary of free financial advice as they are likely pushing you towards products that they receive often ongoing commissions on. Because of that, their advice can be biased. Instead, he kept canvassing those about him and asking what they did with their money. He kept listening to podcasts and information gathering and started to become more mathematical, something he felt he had always been terrible at. He had asked me three questions about his situation. Number one, how clear on my financial goals do I need to become before I invest? Number two, how much time should I invest in learning about investing before making my first investment? And number three, are the best investors the people who have gotten clearest on their financial goals? By the time he was done with his research, he had actually managed to answer his own questions. Then with each subsequent email, he was becoming more and more sure of himself, which is great to see. Because here is what I notice, and I think that many people listening to this might agree, we tend to carry these false beliefs about money, mainly that we are no good with either money or math, but it's just because we have no knowledge of it, and as soon as you get some, you'll make rapid and lasting changes to your financial situation. You are not bad with money, you have just not been taught how to make it work for you. So do what Andy did and get out there and educate yourself. Today he is earning $77,500 before tax. He keeps a Google spreadsheet where he is tracking his net worth. He has joined KiwiSaver here in New Zealand with the employer contributing 3% and him doing the same. So committed is he to staying here that he has actually brought his Australian super across the ditch. He was self-employed for so many years that he unfortunately never voluntarily contributed much to his fund, which he could have done if he wanted to. The only money in there came from his ad hoc part-time jobs. Now he is over here and making up for lost time and his balance is currently at $16,500 and growing in small but consistent increments. Now that he is keeping track for the first time in his life, he could tell me that his current net worth is $102,000. That is a figure seriously worth dwelling on because just two years ago, before moving to New Zealand and starting a job that he actually gets paid for, he didn't have two brass tacks to rub together, yet here he is just a short time later with $102,000. And this is why I was so interested in speaking with Andy because he spent his 20s steadfastly paying no attention to money. Instead, he was fiercely focused on doing what felt good and meaningful to him but it was a life out of balance. It's all well and good working in the arts and filling up your artistic soul, but it will not fill up your grocery trolley or pay your rent or let you plan for your future. But through a journey of self-discovery, he is working out how to achieve both aims. And before we go any further into his future, he had a few small things to clear up about his past. His first partner did so much for him, he said, and because she had so much more money than Andy, at one point, She paid $800 rent on his behalf all those years back. So recently, he tracked her down and he paid her back. It was completely unexpected from her point of view, but for Andy, it felt perfect to give it back to her. Although they were also not expecting him to, he paid his parents back for various courses he did over the years, and it felt terrific to do so. Step by step, he is thinking about how he can help other people, which is nice to see. So what's the plan now? The major initial goal was to save up a 20% deposit for a $1 million house. It felt achievable because he worked out that if he and his partner could save $100,000 each by the end of 2024, then by 2025 they could buy their first home. But plans change. They always have and they always will. 
At the moment, Andy is starting to learn about how you move from being all about you to include a partner in your life. His partner has recently switched from paid work to becoming full-time self-employed as an illustrator. Because she's just starting out, she does not have much money at all. Given how broke he has been in the past, Andy has a lot of empathy for her starting her own business and working for herself. Previously, she was earning about $50,000 a year, but in what might be a podcast for another day, she didn't have much to show for it before embarking on her own business. But my emails where I talked about if you are in a committed relationship, you just have to talk about money, it did get them talking and the financials of her business are something that they will work on together. Andy said their relationship financially is so good now. Most days, something about money will come up. It's always a positive thing now. They are proud of how far they have come in two years, but they do operate as two distinct financial units as they start to navigate how they intermingle their lives. Andy had saved up for a trip he had really wanted to do, to go to Stewart Island and see a kiwi in the wild. His dad had always told him to remember to do something nice for himself and someone else once in a while. So this fitted the bill. He didn't really want to go on his own, but she could not afford to go. So a conversation with a friend and a talk with his grandpa saw him step up and offer to pay all her costs. Andy wanted her there with him, otherwise the trip would be nowhere near as enjoyable. It was the first time he had ever done that for someone else, and it felt good to do so. This gift of generosity and thinking about someone else's needs other than his own, well, it really broke the seal for him. And Andy, who is apparently no good at math, tracked their lovely holiday in his spreadsheet. Four nights and five days away cost $2,183. They spent money on stuff that mattered, like a Kiwi tour, a trip to Ulva Island, and eating excessive quantities of blue cod from the Kaikart on the island. Now, I've been to the island half a dozen times myself, and it is a beautiful place. So when I asked the question, what is the most extravagant thing you have purchased for yourself in the last 90 days, this was it. Next, our conversation went down a whole other rabbit hole that I didn't take notes on, where we had a deep chat about money and relationships. But it basically came down to the point that Andy is at a bit of a tipping point. He has monetary goals, and so does she. He keeps planning for a future with her in it, yet he continues to think of my money and her money. They already talk very openly about money and they share the finer details with each other. And when you are committed to someone, you do everything together. You live together, you have children together, you buy property together, which often means taking on debt together. All things which are pretty darn intimate and they tie you both together. And in the eyes of the law, unless you have a property sharing agreement drawn up, you reach a tipping point of sharing what you have in a breakup anyway. So my question to him was, What's the hurdle around money? It's the next logical step, is it not? Combining their finances is the only thing they don't do together. And if they both love and trust each other, then what's holding them back? And has he ever thought for a minute that this could be a really positive thing because they can actually use both of their minds, their hearts and incomes to do extraordinary things together? Plus, I pointed out to him that things won't always be as they are today. Just like they were different a few years ago when he had little money and at that time his partner had a good income. The tables are turned at the moment, but that won't always stay the same. He asked how my husband Johnny and I knew when it made sense to combine money, and I was pretty happy to share. I went out with one guy who suggested early on that I put all of my money in his bank account. Hell no was the answer to that because he lived a really flashy life, and that's fine while it was his money, but he was not going to be doing that with mine. Another boyfriend was controlling by stealth and I knew in my gut 
that he would have used the money to control me, so he was out. But Johnny, on the other hand, we had a completely different relationship. All signs were promising. We literally got sick of doing math and splitting the grocery bill at the checkout of Kilburnie Pack and Save. So we went to a new bank, opened a shared account and directed our salaries into it. It was an obvious and practical solution in the end. After our discussion, my question about what he considers the biggest hurdle to becoming FI led him instinctively to his fear of combining finances. But after chatting, he said that any time he finds a block in life, when he unblocks it, there is an unbelievably positive impact, and talking about it brought that possibility to the surface. I'd given him a lot of food for thought, and I'm sure that between now and when this podcast gets released, they will have had a chat about it. So that whole conversation may again change his plans and goals, just like her moving to self-employed work did, but only time will tell. When they were both working towards saving up for a house deposit, they had set up a joint bank account, and within six months there was 20 grand in it. They were well on their way. He put in about 17000 she about $3,000 as her reduced income prohibited more going in. But I'd apparently sent him content about financial independence and fire. He realised that if he was totally honest with himself, a better financial decision would be to stop saving for a house, leave that $20,000 in the bank and just try to become financially independent as a first step. In Andy's situation, that means $1 million invested in assets that will return him a passive income. Applying the 4% rule would give him a 30-year income of $40,000 per year. If you are unfamiliar with the 4% rule, just Google it. When he looked at graphs online where you can track your investments in progress, if he gets no pay rise, which is unlikely, and carries on with the same as now, he will be there by 2035. But he likes a stretch goal and is aiming for 2030, which is just eight and a half years away, which I think is doable too. So that is the number one goal at the moment, financial independence by 2030. But all conversations keep leading us back to them as a couple because his calculations are based on his own living costs as per his spreadsheet, not taking hers into account. They have both talked all this over together, both understand it, but they are still moving independently. The idea that it could unite them more and get them to the goal faster could be a really positive thing. He has narrowed down his personal goals now, or his OKR, objectives and key results, by 2030. He wants to be fi and have a net worth of a million dollars and be able to help a family member in need at the drop of a hat, which is why a property is not ideal. He wants paid work to be optional. He wants to create memories on the journey and enjoy the ride. And he wants to engage in helping his partner be creatively and financially successful together. In late 2020, clearly after a lot of thought and research, Andy emailed me to say that he had invested a chunk of his money, $50,000, into an index fund in September to kick off his investing. He chose not to invest in property like everyone else was telling him to. He said this resulted from him taking the time to work out his long and short-term financial goals for the first time, and he was proud of himself for doing what was suitable for him rather than just doing what others do. Using the investment platform Invest Now, he had invested into the Vanguard International Shares Select Exclusions Index Fund. He chose to reinvest any dividends this fund produces, which, along with capital gains, have seen the fund grow in 11 months to $60,000, which he can't quite believe, he said, calling the simple investment strategy ridiculous and absurd. He has not added a single cent of his own money to this fund, instead leaving it there as a permanent investment 
where he knows he put $50,000 in September 2020 and will see how it changes over time. Andy wants to know if everything he has heard about the growth in index funds is accurate and by making just a single purchase, it's easy for him to work out how it is performing. Now, another way to work this out is to actually just use the website ShareSite, by the way. There is a link on my website. However, he set up another fund, the same one as mentioned, but this one is hedged and he put $100 a week from his paycheck in here and the balance is already at $5,300. So if I gave him $10,000 right now, he would put all of it into the second fund. Why these two funds, I asked. He did a bunch of reading of the highest selling financial books ever written. He figured there must be a reason they sell so many books. He kept hearing about Vanguard, which led him to search for a New Zealand provider that would give him access to these. He felt that InvestNow was his cheapest option. So when he looked at the cost of funds, this was the lowest, plus they happened to be Vanguard, so it came down to fees in the end. He has experienced a few market drops, which was a good mental test for him. He did nothing, he didn't sell, and he just thought, this is just what I read about, and it will go up again over time, which it did. But it was still interesting to observe how he would react in a downturn or a crash, and he was proud of himself that he was not bothered in the slightest. So what about his three main financial habits of things that he just automatically does? Well, number one, for a long time, he did not automate stuff, but now he automates as much as possible. If you're on a salary, it is so easy to save whatever you want. Just automate stuff is his advice. Number two, the other financial habit is that he is always thinking about his long-term goals. Before he goes to bed every night, he just repeats his main goals to himself under his breath. It just seeps into his subconscious. He is doggedly determined to achieve the goals he sets himself. And if there is anything that keeps him awake at night, it's this. Thinking about where he is going in life and whether he is getting closer to or further away from his goals. And number three, at the end of every month, he chucks the data from last month, his expenses and his income, into a couple of Google Sheets and it works out his savings rate for him. He can keep a close eye on whether he is spending in line with his values. And what is his savings rate looking like? His spreadsheet is constantly evolving with different columns being added and taken away but his current savings rate is 60%, meaning he is saving and investing 60% of his take-home pay. This is the key if he wants to reach his goals, because his investments can't do it alone. They need a constant injection of cash to help them grow. He enjoys manually updating this stuff, but he will move to automate it with budgeting software in the future. Now, for some nuts and bolts stuff. He has an emergency fund of $2,000 with Heartland Bank at all times. He also has an account with the Heartland Bank called his Mojo account, which is taken from the Barefoot Investor, and that has $1,000 in there. So he feels comfortable having that two dollars to $3,000 on standby at all times. He banks with TSB because of their no-fee structure, and he has a holiday account called his Smile account with a current and growing balance of about $2,000. He has other accounts he is just adding to and tweaking at the moment, a daily expenses account where his income comes in, and he pays the bills from. He has a give account where he puts $20 in a week and gives to whatever cause inspires him that week. He is both self-employed and a PAYE employee, so he has a tax sinking fund to prepare for future tax bills. He also has an account that builds up so he can make extra payments into his Vanguard fund. He has a splurge account too, just $20 a week goes in there to buy something for himself as a treat. With his partner, he has a Kiwi Bank joint account where they were saving for a house, 
it still has that $20,000 sitting in it, which could still be the beginning of a house fund, but they are really not sure about this at the moment, given his recent significant investment into the share market and his interest in pursuing fire. Home ownership, he said, seems to be a necessary evil on the way to becoming fire, but he is yet to work out the role it may play. So we'll see how that one plays out. He also keeps Australian bank accounts if he gets some remote work. And if he is transferring money between New Zealand and Australia, he always uses TransferWise, by far the cheapest way to do it, he said. And as for his money elevator pitch or a sentence that would sum up Andy's approach to money, he said, is there a penthouse that this elevator goes to? Jokes aside, he said, read The Barefoot Investor. Read The Simple Path to Wealth and you can figure it out from there. Also read Quit Like a Millionaire by Christy Sheen and Bryce Lung. Learn from the best, he said, but ultimately you have to be self-motivated and figure it out for yourself. So what does he consider to be his biggest financial triumph? The movie Wall Street had the phrase, greed is good. And what Andy took from that was, I don't ever want to become like that. It made him scared of money and wealth in a way. He has had to completely rewire his brain so he could see money as a helpful tool instead. The biggest triumph is to completely rewire his brain from seeing money as something scary to be afraid of to something that can make your life more wonderful than it is. If you work out what makes you happy, then money will assist with that. So what was his greatest financial flop? He said he has not had any because he didn't earn any money until he was 29 years old. It was glaringly apparent to me that this might be a flop, but he said he was happy to have prioritised his 20s to be about doing what made him feel happy. But now I think he has a better balance between happiness and achieving his money goals. One thing that plays on his mind a little these days since he has become more aware of his own financial situation is his parents' financial situation. Their retirement is closer than his, obviously. Although he said they have done a lot of things right in life, he thinks it's not too late for them to make some tiny changes to their Australian superannuation funds. The lines of communication appear to be open between him and his whanau, so I'm sure that they will end up talking things through in the months and years ahead. After all, they made the decisions they made based on the information they had at the time, and if they get shown some other ideas, I'm sure they would be open to hearing about them and researching them too. From Andy's point of view, he said, it's been fun to start to share what I've learned with others, whether that be with his partner, his parents and siblings, or with colleagues and friends. And if he could retain all of the knowledge he has today regarding money and he could go back to his 15-year-old self and start again, what would he do, whether it be the same or something quite different? He would tell himself to be open to different jobs and experiences rather than having such a tunnel vision at the exclusion of all else as he did. He would have listened to the Barefoot Investor earlier. He might even have taken accounting at school to learn a bit about money. But he said that he has loved his first 30 years. He is grateful that through sheer luck, he can do his job from home during COVID lockdowns. And he reflected on the fact that if he was still in the arts, he would be so screwed right now, unfortunately. He would also give his younger self a hug and tell him everything will work out all right. As for resources he might recommend to you and I, I've already mentioned The Barefoot Investor, but he also mentioned the Choose FI podcast, particularly their early episodes, and I agree with him on that one. He also powered through The Simple Path to Wealth, book by J.L. Collins, and he found it to be an outstanding read. And take his advice on reading the books you hear about the most as The Barefoot Investor and J.L. Collins always come up, and there is very good reason for that. So righto, before I wrap up, I just have another quick message from Pocketsmith, today's sponsor. 
If you want to supercharge your finances with Pocketsmith, they've got a deal for you. Happy Saver listeners get a whopping 50% off your first two months of Pocketsmith's premium plan. To get your deal, go to pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. That's pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. It was so interesting to talk with Andy. And Andy, I just want to really thank you for your time, all three hours of it. It was particularly interesting to chat in person, especially after watching his thoughts and goals progress via email over the last 18 months, from thinking about buying a car park to thinking about investing over a million dollars. That's quite the leap. When he emailed in late 2020 to say that he had invested $50,000 into an index fund, I was really pleased for him because he clearly outlined that this investment was the result of taking the time to work out his long and short-term financial goals for the first time before making a move. He said he was proud of himself for doing what was suitable for him based on thorough research. He has settled on a simple investment strategy of putting money away each week into an index fund and decided that it is kind of ridiculous that if he just does that consistently, he will be able to have a very comfortable early retirement. He has dived into the FIRE movement headfirst and set himself a goal to be financially independent by 2030. Making work optional while still young is his plan, and he continues to be blown away by the difference investing in index funds has had on his modest wealth. He and his partner are openly talking about money, and I think exploring how they share both their goals and money is the next big hurdle to jump. And finally, he did say that any time he has been a bit scared of something, it's a sign that he needs to face it head on. Therefore, he is fascinated to see who he can become by pursuing this line of thought. It's only natural when you have spent your life thinking exclusively about yourself, Andy, that you tend to continue to do so. But look around you, the world is full of successful couples. With the amount of research and goal setting you like to do, I see no reason why this could not be you and your partner too. And finally, I want you, the listener, to take away from this the speed of change you can make in your thinking and your bank balance if you just up and decide to pay attention. Andy says he only started getting more into finance in the last couple of years and was especially interested from mid-2020, yet here he is today with a net worth of over $100,000. It's so possible, you just have to decide to start. So that's all from me this week and I'll be back next Wednesday with another money journey of another Kiwi and if you enjoyed today's podcast please hit subscribe and it will automatically update in your podcast app each time I release a new episode and if you want to get in touch you can find me at thehappysaver.com and I would love it if you could leave a review and also share this with your friends. Those are the best ways that people can learn about my podcast and I would love it if you would talk more about money with your own friends and whanau and help me continue to help others be better with money. So until next time, happy saving.